Hey guys, welcome back to the Shakespeare series. I'm your host, Kelly Bedard, and the series is brought to you as always by myentertainmentworld.ca. Today we're talking about The Merchant of Venice, and to help me figure out what is happening with this insane play full of terrible people that has been dramatically repositioned by history, uh, today I'm talking to Loren Hereda, who is one of my favorite actresses in anywhere. Uh, she's fantastic. She's an indie actress working in Toronto. Um, she has played Portia in The Merchant of Venice, and she can tell you more about that when we get to the interview. In the meantime, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MyEntWorld, my ENT world. Check out what's happening on the site, myentertainmentworld.ca. Uh, and make sure to subscribe on iTunes, uh, My Entertainment World, in your podcast catcher, as well as in iTunes. You can find basically all of our podcasts all in one feed there. We have a bunch of one-offs, a bunch of different series coming up, as well as the rest of the Shakespeare series. We're going to get eventually to all 38 plays with different artists. So buckle in, listen to us talking about Merchant. It's a tough one. So see you on the other side. So we're here to talk about Merchant of Venice, which we have to start with synopsis. Wikipedia tells us it is about a merchant in Venice, mm -hmm. very clever, um, <laughs> who must default on a large loan provided by an abused Jewish moneylender. So, Loren, yeah, what is your tell us a little bit about your your history with this play and why this is the one you wanted to talk about? Uh, I wanted to talk. I've played Portia before. Uh, which was fantastic. And before that happened, Merchant was always one of those plays where, you know, you're like looking for a monologue somewhere and you're like, oh, Merchant of Venice, ugh, not going to look at that one. going to look at like, I, I literally ignored it for so, so long. <laughs> and then when I did the role, I just like dove headfirst into it and it just became one of my favorite Shakespeare's, if not my favorite, because it's so contradictory and human and and wrong and like all good Shakespeare open to interpretation but it's it's very human and I I love that about the play yeah it's I mean it more than any of them including Taming of the Shrew which is sort of second place in this category is something that's been really redefined by history mm -hmm. and um you generally see it today lumped in with the tragedies yes uh but it it was written as a comedy and the bones of that are still very much there even amidst the most tragic of tragic endings, we still have all the silly business with rings and oh, yeah. all that, you know, the casket tests and all that kind of stuff. How do you reconcile those two worlds and make an audience feel comfortable laughing when there's such an insane tragedy happening at the same time? It, it kind of marries sort of my favorite way to laugh, which is that like, you know, you're laughing and then you kind of get stabbed in the side and you're like, ooh. Yeah. Or you're, or something is like so dark and out of nowhere, you're like, oh my god! Like I, I love, I love that about art. I love the way that it can take you by surprise. Right. And that's absolutely what this play is. That from one minute you can have this, you know, it's also very romantic and like heartbreaking romantic. That you can have the scene where Jessica's fleeing her dad and stealing all of his money, and you know, it's it's romantic and and all this. And then the next minute. You have him discovering that she's gone and he took the ring from his dead wife and there's so much pain and anguish and then you flip to like, no, we're dressed as boys and doing that, you know, like it's just all over the place flip-flopping and I, I like that instead of just sticking with one note throughout the whole play. It's, you don't, you don't find that a lot. Yeah. I feel like this one has more than almost any other play, a real tension for the audience in who are we rooting for? Yes. And in, you know, 
it feels a little bit like we can make assumptions about who Shakespeare quote unquote wanted us to be rooting for. Mm-hmm. Um, and the very, very simple answer there is if we assume that Shakespeare had the same anti-Semitic views as his characters certainly do in this play, then we're pretty easily just rooting for Antonio and we're seeing Shylock as cruel, but then he has this speech, this one of those famous speeches in the English canon mm-hmm. that is so deeply empathetic a piece of writing that how do you give that to someone that we're not supposed to see as human who do you root for in this play? And, and how do you reconcile the things they do to the other humans in the play? That's a really good question. I feel like it's one of those plays where you kind of, you're rooting for everybody and at the same time you can't. And that's what I love about it, that there's always these moments, like even specifically for Portia, like she's the heroine. She's supposed to be, you know, the one that you're all, you're like, yeah, but every character has this moment where they take it too far. Where you're kind of like, okay, great. And then they're like, no, no, I'm just going to twist that screw. Just And you're like, whoa, stop, stop. That's, that's awful. Oh, my God. Every character. And I think that's what's so fantastic about it. So you're, you're rooting for Portia. And then all of a sudden, she just presses more and more with Shylock in the trial scene. You're like, whoa, girl, too much. Or Antonio, it's like, hey, you're off the hook and everything's fine. No, let's take away his religion and absolutely make him convert and... Which, which is arguably, like, when Shakespeare wrote it, that was his way of making Shylock likable at the end because, therefore, he would have, like, his soul saved. But in the context of now or even, you know, whenever, it's, it's quite horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that would be somehow, like, a, a happy ending and then he's just never seen again. It's, and uh, it's... it's and then there's all the stuff with An- Antonio and Bassanio and what's their relationship like. And there's, there's just so much to... And I think one of the best things about Shakespeare is he's human, which allows it to be ambiguous, which is why we're still doing it. Mm-hmm. Because there's so many different humans. We can interpret it so many different ways. And this is one of the more ambiguous ones that's open for debate and discussion and, and big, bold choice. And I like being big and bold in my choices. <laughs> so, yeah, rooting for everybody and at the same time horrified by everybody, which is brilliant, I think. Yeah. Well, you bring up Bassanio and Antonio, which is one of those relationships that, uh, like Antonio and Sebastian or someone like that, mm-hmm. who in a contemporary production, you almost never see them not played with some sort of weird, unrequited romantic subtext yeah. happening. And that really would inform, that's making a strong choice about Antonio's motivations. But there's other things going on. I think there's something to be said for this idea that he just feels untouchable. And that not only will his ships definitely come in, but that even if they don't, what's Shylock going to do? He's not even a real person. Like, they can just walk right over him. You want to talk a little bit about Antonio's motivations and how you think he feels about Bassanio and how that all folds in? Yeah, I think for me, I think there's definitely some residual feelings from Antonio towards Bassanio and Bassanio's the younger guy he's got all this going on but like yeah Antonio does some horrible shit to Shylock like Shylock has a speech where he's awful just just really does not treat him like a human being at all and he's got this position within the community and he's kind of this big guy and he's just 
it's very it's very interesting i think there i think there is something there but it the kind of the depth or however you want to like pull it or go with it is up is up for debate he could be absolutely in love with him he could be incredibly confused and tortured he could see him a little bit more as like a sun factor depending on like how you cast it like it's just so open um but antonio is also someone i think who's in a lot of pain and 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 maskets and whether that's from bassanio or not he does tend to position himself in such a way in the community that garners a huge amount of respect as you said he seems he sees himself as untouchable that nothing could ever happen to him whether you want to look at that because his strong faith with god i doubt it although he'd probably display it as such um but then whenever given the chance to show mercy essentially he does not unless he loves you unless you're unless you're bassanio he only loves portia by proxy and that even that's debatable you know he tolerates her but bassanio is really one of the only ones that he cares about even salario and solanio they're around i don't know if he really could give two shits about them if they never showed up again or something horrible happened to them mm-hmm. he's kind of yeah kind of reminds me of those people that are you know, when, when they're giving you their attention, the sun is shining, but then when they're not, it's so cold. And that might be one of the ways that I think would describe him best, mm-hmm. potentially. Well, and then the flip side of that is Shylock's motivations, which there's been lots of debate over. Is it love of money? That was certainly sort of the original conception of him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then there's the argument of revenge in terms of a Christian, quote unquote, stealing his daughter away. Mm-hmm. I tend to lean towards respect. I, you know, he's he's so dismissed, and I think that uh, it's it's sort of a quest to. I, I honestly think that Antonio never really had any intention of paying him anything. No, and it it's about demanding to be seen as someone who should who deserves to have their people go through with their word when it's given to him. Oh my God, yeah, and it's and it's yeah, absolutely, and even. Even Antonio undermining him, like I, I don't see how there's. They call it like the 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 money loving, but he's just going about in the world with a business. Like, how is it bad that he would want to be successful? How is it seen as money loving that he would want people to honor their debts with him? Mm-hmm. And Antonio trying to undermine him by not charging people interest for things, trying to make him seem worse. Like he he was from like a lower position within society and i think you're absolutely right it's about seeing being seen as a human being instead of your religion mm-hmm. and god is that ever apt to what's happening in the world right now like it's it's a fundamental human thing that's been going on for forever where we always like to rate ourselves and certain people are above others and sometimes it's religion and sometimes it's money and sometimes it's sexual orientation but it, humans have always done that mm-hmm. and it you know, it's 2017. Doesn't look like we're changing it too too soon, but it creates a discussion at least with this play to be aware of it. And I think, for me, I feel like with Shylock, he's he is just wanting respect. He's wanting to be seen as a human and 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 respect for who he is and not wanting to change himself. And for me, the turn doesn't come in the play until until Jessica leaves, until she runs away, where it's like he's he's betrayed by his own blood, by his by the great love of his life. He is that, and it can be interpreted many different ways, but I've seen some actors do some beautiful work with just, just the heartbreak of having already lost his wife, seeing so much of his wife in her, his greatest love, he's never remarried, 
and then she leaves and it's the money is whatever but that the ring mm -hmm. is is particularly painful to him and and it's yeah and then and then even for Jessica later on she's dealing with them continuing to make fun of her and make fun of her dad for who she is and where she's come from even though she's renounced him even though she's trying to be with the man that she loves and he's he's kind of a jackass like it's 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 still people even then within a within a passionate relationship man or woman going I'm I'm better than you mm -hmm. it's weird well, and you bring up this idea of 2017 with regards to both, you know, our treatment of people in other religions, the class system, and especially we're about to talk to talk about more about Portia and her mm -hmm. decision to uh, disguise herself as a man in order to um, save, quote unquote, save the day, mm -hmm. uh, something she can't do as a woman. Um, how do you feel the play plays in 2017, and what are some of the necessary changes that need to happen to it in order for it to apply or are there any that's a really good question um i think i think it can absolutely play in in 2017 um in terms of changes i mean all that's up to if, if you're gonna ask that, that question the first question that has to be asked is how uncomfortable are you willing to make people when we are talking about issues about religion and issues about gender but Mostly it's religion at the forefront and people being discriminated and persecuted against being a visible minority. How real do you want to get? I think if it's going to get played, I think now's the time to get real upfront about it and not shy away. And it's going to create some difficult conversations. It's going to potentially make people very upset in the production that I was a part of, at the end of the play, we actually showed Shylock's conversion to Catholicism, and people were very disturbed by it. There was Jewish people in the audience, and it was very hard for them to watch. And, and, and for a lot of Christian Catholic people in the audience, it was hard for them to watch, because it's one thing to say that this is happening, it happens off stage. Then you have that lovely little reunion scene with the, the lovers. It's easy to kind of ha ha ha, whatever, but that is the reality of it. So I think get bold with it. Start some conversation, start some dialogue, and risk making people uncomfortable mm -hmm. um, and having them not like it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think if you were going to really explore those themes, there would be a lot of people coming out being like, that was awful, and they just put it in our face and it wasn't enjoyable and it made me think things and I got uncomfortable and I thought am I complicit in this what's my role you know and it really forces people to look at themselves uh, I think that's that's where it would have to be and it you know or it doesn't have to be or you can all put on robes and play the lute and <laughs> and, and it's just like whatever you know like it, it can go either way but if you in my opinion it'd be great to, it'd be great to see that yeah because it, you in order to put it on in 2017, you have to come face to face with the fact that almost every single character in the play is deeply anti-Semitic and has this hate within them when they're essentially rom-com characters. Exactly. Uh, which is a really hard thing to reconcile. Um, in fact, I was thinking about this play and, and it's sort of repositioning as a tragedy and I was thinking about Portia and her decision to to dress as a man, and I was thinking about Lady Macbeth mm -hmm. and this idea that there's, I think there's a parallel there that doesn't get brought up very much. This idea of something needs to be done 
at least in her view. <laughs> and she's going to be better at it than her husband. And Lady Macbeth is in a position where she, all she can really do is sort of belittle her husband into doing what she wants him to do. And Portia instead, she, you know, she's dealing with a slightly different man than Lady M was. But <laughs> she, she puts on the pants herself so that it can get done because she's the only character on stage who has the perspective and the intelligence to be able to go in there as the lawyer. Can you talk to about her mm. in the context, the larger Shakespearean context of cross-dressing women? Um, she's, I, I think she's the only one who doesn't um, do it for like love reasons, right? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, you could say she's doing it for like for love of Bassanio, but I, I really liked, I've, that's a really interesting juxtaposition with that because when I, when I played her, and certainly my view into it was I saw Portia's, you know, because she, she's, she has that island. She's incredibly rich beyond all compare. Uh, she's been her own boss, essentially, living in fear of, like, whoever's going to come over and, and marry her, but she's kind of her own person. So I really saw it more as um, kind of that, that arrogance, arrogance and ignorance, being like, I'm you know, going in there with like no game plan, just being like, I can, I can fix this. And then being stuck in that courtroom where it's like, I don't actually know what I'm doing here and I don't know what to do and kind of grasping at straws until she finds that idea and then really f nailing him to the wall with it because she felt that fear because he made her feel bad the way that human beings are like, you know, now I'm going to make you pay for that because I felt so insecure a little while ago. Now I'm going too far, but I don't realize it. Um, but yeah, in terms of the, the Shakespearean cross-dressing history, no, she's, she's there. I mean, maybe for Bassanio, maybe for whatever, but it's, it, it is a lot different than anything before. She's not trying to hide her, her gender so that she doesn't get attacked or be able to protect herself or be in hiding. She's, kind of I think in her mind trying to save the day but she has no idea what she's capable of and has no idea of the great wrongs that she committed you know she just doesn't and that speaks to what you were saying before how every character is so incredibly anti-semitic it wouldn't even occur to them that they are yeah you know and I think she would argue that she's not anti-semitic she sees people as people and she's so rich what would she care about that sort of thing but it, when push came to shove she was one of the most vicious to go after him out of everyone. Yeah, and being a female character, she's often left out of that discussion a little bit. She's portrayed really as the hero of the play. Absolutely. And I think a lot of times when I see her portrayed, she you knows she's coming in there and she knows exactly what's going to happen. It's very, you know, spectacles and proper and restrained and all of this. And that's just not the way that I think it is at all. The way that the text follows, for sure, she absolutely at one point has no idea what to do and is completely lost. And then once she finds that little nugget to grab onto and get him, then she just leans into it hard. And why? You can't say that's for love. Yeah. You can't, you know, he's already saved. You can't, what is it coming from? And then to just strip him of all this stuff, to offer him up to Antonio, who she knows hates him, who she knows you know, it's, it's, it's not honorable. It's not, it's certainly not heroic in that moment. It's mm -hmm. not necessary, but she does it. And you're, and you're right. I've, it's always sort of portrayed a different way where it's not her fault 
she's just kind of you know it's like these are just the rules I can't she's enforcing a system yeah it's not your fault it's not my fault that you can't wear that when you walk down the street it's not my fault that this is banned it's not my fault you know I didn't make the rules mm-hmm. I'm just you know and it's it's that still happens now that people can kind of wash their hands of it that way or put other people at the mercy of people with actual like prejudices that they wear on their sleeve uh, with pride and, mm-hmm. and be able to be like, well, that wasn't me. That was him. I wouldn't, I would never do that, but yeah. you know, that's not, that's not my problem. So it's, it, I think she's a very, uh, problematic, troubling character and very, very interesting in the, in the way that I think all of them are. Mm-hmm. They, they really, really are. Cause they, they all have these moments where like her quality of mercy speech, where they're capable of it. So ironic that she gives it because a couple pages later, <laughs> no mercy there um but they they all have these moments and these moments of like incredible vulnerability of incredible love i think love is such a a unifying it's like anti-semitism and like love like and and the kind of love that makes people so vulnerable they they almost can't stand being in their own skin and those are like the two sides of the scale for this play well how do you feel about her love interest and her her choice of love if you will there i always seen Bassanio as sort of dopey right? <laughs> yeah, a little yeah. bit of, of a simple innocent you know yeah uh like the male the male ingenue in like a reductive way i like um, that and it's almost like this idea of if she's always as you said she's always been in charge of her own life that she had this Thing rolling towards her entire life of who's going to pass the casket test. Some, but she's going to get stuck with somebody. Mm-hmm. Is there something to the idea that the man she picks is somebody who's weak enough, or who's, who's actively weaker than her, and actively dumber than her, so she still gets to be in charge? Or is it just that he passes this silly test? Oh my god, I like that. Um... I mean, I've never thought of it like that, but that certainly kind of makes a little... That makes sense to me that she's going to fall for someone a little bit, you know, beta. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more like, I'm going to do whatever I want. And he's like, love you. (laughs) Live your best life. Um, I mean, there is the thing in the play where uh, she does have them sing the song, which potentially alludes to Bassanio, him being able to pick the right casket. So it's like, did she cheat? Did she not cheat? She was certainly willing to kind of give up the answer, but didn't. And, uh, and and also that weird thing too, where like she met him before and fell in love with him. So is it like, okay, well, did she just fall in love with kind of like a hot, dumb guy? And I love what you said about Bassanio being a male ingenue, because he kind of is. He's like playing with Antonio a little bit and, you know, and, and incredibly hurtful with Portia later when it's like I'll never you know someone's gonna have to kill me and cut off my finger before they get this ring and she really doesn't have to do much to get it from him and how how heartbreaking that would be mm-hmm. leading to her vulnerability and how much she cares about him and and Bassanio kind of being a bit of a dope um it's maybe it is maybe it is a little bit of that beta thing I always found it just a little bit too convenient that they met before and that she super loves him but maybe that is part of her alpha tendencies that like she just decided she's the rich girl she's gotten everything that she with the you know exclusion of the casket thing um (laughs) 
but she has been able to be in charge of her own life. So she's just, you know, you. She yeah. knows Oprah's secret. She's like, that's what I want. She got it. Sorry, that was lame. That was lame. Um, <laughs> but I, I like that. I think there's a lot to that. Yeah. Because uh, it didn't really make sense to me otherwise. Unless it's just, you know, sometimes we love who we love and it, it's just the way it is. But he is a bit of an ingenue. <laughs> that's so great. I love that. Well, and what about this crazy ring plan? Um, mm. I've always sort of seen it as them just teasing them and having some fun, but you bring up this idea of a real, the real vulnerability of it and how easily she's able to get that ring despite his you know, grand promises that no one will ever get the ring. Mm-hmm. Even that, we talk about that as the light note that undermines the tragedy or, or contrasts the tragedy, however you want to say it, that's going on in Shylock's story. But you bring up the possibility that that's actually leaving even just the rom-com side of the play on a relatively bittersweet note. Mm -hmm. And this idea that this might not work. These are not super strong couples we're sending out into the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there's not a solid foundation there. Uh, Yeah, it's... uh, Well, and is she testing him on the way back because she is potentially worried about some homosexual tendencies with Antonio? Is she wondering, like, where do I actually rank with this is it just the way that girls or men um women or men uh people will kind of when they're mad at someone see how hard you're gonna work to like make me not be mad at you because i always found the because once they get married she she's gotten her kind of freedom back but she's also given up her agency now he's the man of the house and gets to you know he's a man he can go around and do whatever he wants and it's like, so how important is my heart to you? Because I've given you, I've given you everything. I've given you all of me, and you just, you just gave it away for your friend, because I told you I saved your friend's life, and because it was Antonio, you give the ring. What's so he's worth more than me, and it's, and it is one of those things where even when you look at the text, they're playing the game and they're playing the game, and all of a sudden it's like. Well, game's over and it's fine. So let's all just go inside and be happy and how like, you know, easy that was. But I think it can be something a little bit, a little bit more than that. A little bit of like actual fear, a little bit of her potentially like holding him over the fire a little bit. Like how much are you going to stay? How beautiful can your poetry be when you're trying to make me not upset with you? Like, what do I... But at the end of the day, it's legitimately like, do I actually, am I the most important person in your life? Because you certainly are in mine. And if I'm not, holy fuck, that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. So even though you're the beta, I'm so much more in love with you. That's so much more opportunity for you to just break my heart. Yeah. In terms of the language of Merchant, uh, we talked a little bit about quality of mercy. Um, I brought up a little bit, if you prick us, do we not bleed? Mm. There are these these famous lines that have been extrapolated beyond the play and become part of the sort of English lexicon. Is there a particular line or passage in Merchant that really stands out to you as emblematic of the story and mm. um, what you think of when you think about Merchant of Venice? Ooh. <laughs> Spotlight. Um, oh, my God. Off the top of my head, I'd be hard-pressed to, to pick one, but there, there are a lot in there like you know in truth I know not why I'm so sad yeah, the very first line of play yeah everybody ever almost in this day and age or you know is that about like 
being too self-aware, being not enough aware of what's going on within yourself. Um, Portia has some of the most beautiful language in and around Bassanio's casket scenes that are just, they're, they're really overlooked, but they're fantastic. She's this one where she talks about like, you see me where I stand just as I am, you know, and I hope I'm going to be enough for you. And it's this incredible, vulnerable moment where he's won, he's got the casket, everything's going to be great. And she's looking at him and being like, I really hope that I'm going to be enough for you. And how like, like love when, you know, you're really standing in front of somebody and you're like, I hope this doesn't change. I know it's not going to change for me, but like, this is, this is me and all of everything that I've got. Um, oh, I'm hard pressed to, to pull out some lines now, but there are some really, really good ones. I'm trying to think of a uh, Shylock, Shylock has a, his like last line is this weird non sequitur. I'm having a hard time having it come to me now, but he kind of just, you know, walks away and leaves. And there's been different interpretations on on how to do that and, and what he's really going through. But it's like, and then that's just sort of it. And they go with it. Um, yeah, there's, oh, I wish I had a better one for you. I'm feeling <laughs> awful about it now. But there's, it's it's so overlooked. And I certainly overlooked it for a long time. And there's a lot in there. There's a lot from vulnerable people. And I think there's a lot of uh, commonplace vitriol that like, not not when they're really pressing in there, but just that every day. The casual cruelty. Yes, there's a lot of that. And it happens, I think the only one who really escapes it probably the most is Bassanio, because he's kind of a little bit dopey. But for everybody else, they certainly dole it out and they get it back easy. Yeah. Um, there have been over the years not as many Merchant of Venice's as because, as you said, it gets overlooked, and I think that the unclassifiability of it mm-hmm. confuses people and it makes people shy away. Um, but there have been lots of different versions played by many different people. Do you does have you ever seen a particular uh, production that really stood out to you, or a single performer even with a pro- within a production or the movie version or whatever? Mm. Um, I always found, uh, do you ever watch those, uh, was it like acting Shakespeare, talking Shakespeare, playing Shakespeare, the, uh, mm-hmm. the British mini series that they did. And I always loved where they had Patrick Stewart and, um, oh God, the guy who played Poirot or Poirot or however you say the name. Poirot? Yeah. yeah what I don't know who the actor was. <laughs> oh, this is gonna, I gotta, um, but and I always, the phone. <laughs> exactly. Because that's just unacceptable that I'm not going to be able to know. I've seen him in a play with Richard Dreyfuss and I don't even know his, can't remember his name. Um, but there's one they did, it was just a little snippet that they did with um, how they can, okay, I can't do these two things at once. Here, do you want me to look it up while you talk? <laughs> yeah, it's just like making me slow down. Uh, but basically it was just sort of a little bit of an exercise with um, the different interpretations. David Suchet? Yes! Thank you. <laughs> Suchet always makes me think of Sucrets. I don't know why. I'm not 100% sure on that pronunciation. No, you're totally right on that pronunciation. Oh, perfect. 100% <laughs> green, green check mark. Um, but basically, within, within those two interpretations, Patrick Stewart was going very much of like uh, someone who knew that he was the butt of the joke and the way to be in on the joke was to be even funnier than before. Like, 
your words can't hurt me because I'm laughing louder than you are. Uh, whereas David Suchet was like really fighting the world. And they both had the world on their shoulders, but he was more kind of cutting his way through the jungle with a machete and really like fighting tooth and nail to be seen as a human being, to be seen, to get that respect. And they're both incredibly valid. They're both absolutely there. And I think Shylock's one of the most interesting characters that, that's been written because we do all know that speech. We all know it in some context. Even if people aren't theater goers, they're like, oh yeah, do, if you prick us, do we not bleed? Oh yeah, what's that? What is that? Um, and and so that that has always stuck out in my mind. And I saw the movie one with Joseph Fiennes. I didn't really like it. Um, <laughs> I love the, the person you bring up is the guy who played Bassanio. I know. <laughs> He's just really burned into my brain. I found I remember I didn't really like like the Portia either, but maybe that she kind of like re- wasn't really in the show, and she was very like just easy. She was kind of the way that you know when you talked about earlier that she's described. She was very much just kind of like the romantic heroine, and the court scene she just saved the day because mm-hmm. she was smarter than all of the boys and there was no complexity there was no you know blackness to the inside of her which everybody has but i think for her it's it's a, it's essential that she be so incredibly fallible that the audience is like oh my god is she wow wow you know um, but do you think that um, with our sort of ingrained pre- prejudices that's putting her at risk a little bit of the audience turning on her in a way that they wouldn't necessarily turn on the men because mm. you know I feel like she's in that scene especially because she's doing all the talking she has the majority of the vitriol if you really explore the darkness of her character on the same level that you might with the other with the male characters I feel like there's a certain segment of the audience that subjectively or subconsciously or not are going to just go oh, what a bitch yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's because it's so easy to say that. You well, know, we talked about this a little a bit with when we were talking about Beatrice Joanna. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think we're just kind of wired up to be like, oh, that woman's like complex and weird. What a bitch. Yeah. Or she's smart. Who the fuck does she think she is? You know, where like the men are, it's more, it's, we've seen more instances where, where men have been incredibly complex and unlikable, mm-hmm. but we're just like, wow, what a faceted human being. But we really want our women to be much more straightforward. Cause yeah. if, you know, what it's could, like, yeah, the idea that they're held to a higher standard somehow. Yeah. Or, or not even like a higher standard, just like a, a boxed in standard, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, but I want to know that my kids are my kids and that you haven't been running around on me. Or I want to know that, you know, you're going to rub my head at the end of my hard day and tell me how how hard I'm working and how good I'm doing or I don't want to feel threatened because you know more than me or Mm -hmm. so I I I think it's one of those things where because of that already there's not that much that she has to do to get there instantly to have the audience get that way and and if if it is being played with that much vulnerability and and unlikability and intelligence and and oh what's the word that I'm thinking of just just the ability to get it wrong you know if if everyone in the show is played with some blinders but blinders that work for their character the way that we all live our lives every day with the own blinders that are like I am me just myself all these things are happening to me and I make it happen 
that they're probably going to call her a bitch way before that scene ever even happens. Yeah. They'll probably call her a bitch in the casket scene where they're like, you know, uh, Morocco comes in. He's real nice. He talks some, like, nice speech about, like, I'm a, I'm a really great guy, and I will respect you, and I will take care of you, and I respect where you're coming from and all of this. And she's quite dismissive of him based on his appearance, based on his race. She says some shitty stuff. Um, there's the opportunity right there to be like, wow, what a fucking spoiled bitch. Mm-hmm. But that's just, I, I, I find with that too, though, that's just the easiest thing that you can say about a woman, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't know if it's ever going to go away because it is, it is so ingrained in all of us to just dismiss it like that. You know, not even that she's difficult, but like, yeah, the B word. Mm-hmm. Um, I would hope, and, and I think that if, if the, the guys were being looked at in the same way, maybe someone would have a response like that, but they'd almost be willing to give him another shot, whereas we get painted with that brush right away and there's no coming back. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, I almost feel like you run the risk so easily with female characters of the audience tuning them out. And as a result, by trying to play that line safely, we end up creating and playing female characters who are less interesting. And then around and around we go. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's incredibly depressing, mm-hmm. you know, because I think there is so much to her. And I don't know if it's playing a fine line between her, like, youthful charm and her seclusion essentially like being secluded from so much of the world there's a huge difference between reading about something in a book and seeing it right in front of you and that's Portia personified she's read it all she knows it all but when push comes to shove in the situation it's not how she's necessarily going to act and such a testament to the roots of where her prejudice comes from too right it's just such a lack of exposure Mm -hmm. to anyone outside of her palace gates yeah absolutely you know, you can have like all the world's best tutors being flown in or all this stuff, but that doesn't mean that you're going to know how you're going to react when you're in that situation. And she doesn't. And I think, I think when she is reacting in that situation, not only does she not know how she's going to react, but she's not judging herself. She doesn't think she's doing anything wrong. Uh, but yeah, she is, she is absolutely going to be painted with a brush very early on that, um, just write it right off. And then you run in that risk where you're like, okay, well, is it worth it when the audience is tuned it out? You know, and how do you how do you balance that to make them to make them watch? How do you make her likable but at the same time real? Uh, when it's when it's that much harder to have them look at something uncomfortable that a woman may be doing, mm-hmm. and I don't know the answer to that because it's it's still happening now. I'm I'm not seeing it get any better to be honest. And I have one last question that I we always end these episodes with the same question. Oh. But before I get to that, is there anything else you want to say about Merchant of Venice? Oh my God. Uh, read it. <laughs> I'd say watch it, but I can't think of a really good one to watch. There's like a really old BBC one, but it's pretty stuffy as far as... Uh, I mean, they're all pretty stuffy. That's the same one where like uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins <laughs> is in a... Othello, just, (laughs) if you've never seen it, wow, you're not going to get that time of your life back, Um, but, oh man, 
I think um, Jeremy Irons does a good job, at least in the film version. He does Antonio. And so, yeah. I mean, at least just for that. <laughs> he does do a good job. Yeah. And I remember reading that he had decided like unequivocally that there was no feelings towards Bassanio on his part. He was just like, no, 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 no. That's not where I'm going with that. Uh, that's such a lame, that's like generic straight man response. I'm like, no, 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 of course not. No question. I know. No question. No <laughs> yeah, question. No. <laughs> not even in my darkest, most lonely night on a rainy day did yeah. I ever for a second think about what his body meant. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. Yeah, you just like present them with information about the Kinsey scale and they're like, yeah, but like a zero. I'm like, like a zero. <laughs> like, no, what? Not me. Like, Everyone else, maybe, but not me. <laughs> yeah, I've never been stimulated by a conversation with somebody and maybe yeah. felt some certain thing. No, 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 no. Never, never. Only girls. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I would, I would, I would say read it. I would say make up your own opinions, and I, I wish I could say that maybe we're coming into a place where, yeah, people are going to start really putting those issues out there in front of the stage to have people not like or like, and maybe they will. Maybe this is you know zeitgeist is turning and it's all going to happen, but it's it's definitely worth a read. Some of the most beautiful language, some of the most vulnerable language, and it's not easy it's not straightforward like a if you think of it as because there are romantic aspects to it beautiful poetry not as straightforward of a romance it's not as simple as i'm just dressed up as a boy and i love you but you just see me as a boy you know <laughs> not to put any of those down but that is they do get like three acts out of that trope um when you think of it as a tragedy it is incredibly tragic and but on like a your daughter stabbed you in the heart and ran away. You know, your lover so easily dismissed you after swearing to the moon and stars that he never would. And what's worst about that is you believed him in your heart of hearts when he told you that first time. You believed him. But when such a simple test came by, they they rejected you. They denounced you. That um, relationships can potentially be complicated do I feel something for this young man is he just a there's a lot I'll say that about <laughs> Merchant of Venice check it out because there is a lot and and it's there to to be explored you know and and hopefully we see more exploration with these stories with these Shakespearean classics because I think we've been doing the same thing for a long time and it's it holds up because it's good but it doesn't you know, you want to leave the theater and maybe have some questions, not just be like, oh, I didn't understand any of that, and go home and just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to ramble. I'm rambling now. <laughs> okay. Well, you might ramble a lot on the next one. So oh, we okay. always end with the same question. It's a different question each time, but it's the same question. What is Merchant of Venice about? <laughs> Merchant of Venice is about... Who we are as humans, our innate ability to rate ourselves and rank ourselves uh, in, in direct juxtaposition to the people around us, uh, that human thing of standing on others to make ourselves feel better about real earth-shattering, unshakable, vulnerable love and 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 people on the receiving end of that love who might not be worthy and in some cases are not worthy of that kind of devotion and sacrifice and prejudice straight up just straight up prejudice and how it's 
it's so prevalent just as much as it ever was now it just it doesn't even hide as much as it did before it just cha- it just takes on different forms if anything it's about the the longevity of prejudice and that face that humans have that has been there since the beginning of time i would say that for me that's what it's about and 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 for some of the best aspects in humanity to survive the the resilience the resilience of the human spirit the need to be respected the ability to just keep going in the face of potentially an entire society trying to bring you down or make you feel less than or actively actively throwing in your face every day that you are less than and just rising above that and fighting um that's that's what it is to me and do you have anything you want to plug, social media, anything you want to say before we sign off? Uh, I'm going to plug some just straight up pay it forward goodness. No, no at handle or anything like that. Just, just maybe after this, just a little bit of putting yourself in someone else's shoes, a little bit of just the outside perspective, taking off your own blinders and just imagining where someone else might be coming from, that they might be having a, a harder time than you realize, and just some, just some compassion. I think we need a lot more of that in the world. So that's our episode for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to search My Entertainment World in your podcast catcher to get the entire Shakespeare series as we work our way towards all 38 plays. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, all that jazz. MyEntertainmentWorld.ca is the website. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see you next time.